Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually, well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Kitty Feldy. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much. Hello, Kitty, and thank you so much for sitting in today. Helen Hong had a uh, business engagement she couldn't get out of, so we're so happy to have you. You've been a guest on the show before. You've been in our audience several times, and now you've been promoted <laughs> to co-host. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I had no other business meetings, so, you know, here I am. Well, you are about to have a lot of business going on because you have a new book out. Tell us about that. Yes, I do. It's called State of the Union, and it's part of a mystery series called the Fina Mendoza Mysteries, set on Capitol Hill. It's a about the 10-year-old daughter of a congressman who solves these various mysteries. And in this book, a mysterious bird poops on the president's head during the State of the Union address. And oh, no. I know. It's terrible. And everybody wants to get the bird. Yeah, that is what we call an inciting incident. <laughs> <laughs> well, as part of the process of having this new book that's just out, uh, you, of course, are promoting it by doing interviews. You made your mark as an interviewer for NPR. What's it like to be on the other side of that, having other people interview you? Well, you know, I have to tell you, the, the worst interview I ever conducted as a talk show host was with Terry Gross, of all people. Oh, no. And it was because she, she only gave one-word answers. And so oh. I used to make fun of that. But now I realize, oh, you got to keep talking, Kitty, even if you don't know <laughs> what you're going to say next. Just keep talking. Yeah, that's right. You were doing that silly thing of answering the question as opposed to uh, <laughs> getting the point out that you wanted to get. That's right. And of course, you escaped radio for the wonderful world of podcasting. You uh, <laughs> Tell us about the uh, children's podcast that you have. We've talked about before and I've been on, but it's so wonderful. Well, it's called Book Club for Kids, and that's exactly what it is. I, I get to talk to kids, usually fifth to seventh graders, about a middle grade novel, and they get to interview the writer, and we get a reading from a celebrity like J. Keith Van Stratton to go with well. the podcast as well. And then, you know, I just got so excited about the book and I thought, oh, podcast, book, this could work. So we now have a new podcast called The Fina Mendoza Mysteries. And the first season was based on the first book in the series. But we also covered things like, you know, maybe we should be lowering the voting age and letting kids vote. And we did a couple of them on the January 6th insurrection, trying to explain oh. the insurrection to kids. So the whole project is sort of a civics lesson, trying to introduce civics to this next generation so they won't be totally turned off by politics in Washington, D.C. I wish you could explain the January 6th insurrection to me, and I'm not a kid. <laughs> All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Kitty, who is up first. He is a comedian, writer, and commentator who can be heard every weekday hosting the show, Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang. On Sirius XM Channel 127, it is John Fugelsang. Hello, John Fugelsang. Jay Keith, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you again. Uh, the show that you do, uh, Tell Me Everything with John Fugelsang, it's so great, not just because I've been on as a guest before. <laughs> I was surprised to learn that uh, before this show, you had never hosted radio before. Is that right? I had filled in a lot of radio shows, mm -hmm. but yeah, this was the first time I ever really made the commitment. I waited till I had a show where I could book Chris Christie and Bernie Sanders, you know, Julie Andrews and Tyler Perry. So I waited for just the right dynamic. <laughs> and please tell me they did a duet. I wish they were there on the same day, but it didn't uh, work out that way. And, and I meant Bernie Sanders and Chris Christie. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a neat story about the title of the show. Tell us about that. Tell me everything comes from an interview Bob Dylan did with Andy Warhol's interview magazine in the 80s. They asked him, <laughs> what should someone do on a date with you? And he said, tell me everything. So that was my homage to Bob, uh, who I will never get on my show, but I've had two of his sons and one of his grandkids and three of his guitarists. So I feel I'm Bob-centric. <laughs> You're definitely Bob-adjacent. You are, of course, appropriately known for being a great interviewer. I'm just curious for no particular reason. How does one get to be better at interviewing? By being really bad at it for a very long time. Check and check. And I see Kitty nodding. Kitty, also a very famous uh, good interviewer. You agree, Kitty? Yes. Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm famous good interviewer, but I, I wanted to ask John, you always have to have like your emergency question in case the conversation just dies and you have nowhere to go. What's yeah. your emergency question? Great interview question. <laughs> Want to get high? No. I, I mean, 
<laughs> That'll work. It's different for every guest because one of the things I learned is if you're having on journalists or authors, they're there to talk about their book. But obviously the bigger name folks have done this millions of times. They're bored out of their mind. And what is the question you could ask about something they'd like to talk about? Mm. The first time William Shatner did my show, I wanted to ask about Star Trek V, the worst movie ever made, <laughs> the one he directed. <laughs> And my whole point was, of all the movies in the world that deserve a director's cut with revised CGI, it's that one. Because you did it during a strike, right? You had your hands tied. Oh, my God. He got to make excuses for half an hour, and he trusted me on everything. and opened up so much by geeking out about the one film he directed and saying, you deserve another shot. Paramount should give you a budget to recut that digitally. Boom. He opened up on everything. Mm. Find what their geek zone is and hone it on that. Well done. I think that sounds like a pretty good description of this show. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you about, you recently posted on Instagram pictures of your new kitty. And I want to warn yes. our listeners, that's the only thing we'll be talking about for the rest of the next hour or so. There's two of them. There's two. Oh, my God. We're going to have to make a bonus episode. Tell us about the well, new kitties. I'm very... Uh, well, we have oh, Kitty Feldy, of course. I was going to say, there's yes, three in the guy. There's three new kitties. Here, yes, but yes. please, let you us know, hear about yours. Every cat I've ever had has been a rescue. I've never gone out looking for one. And then I had a voice in my head telling me that my cat Bix deserved a little friend. I said to my wife, we got to get a kitten. And she went looking and she found two bonded brothers, the same Russian blue species as oh, my cat Bix. Love Russian blues. And then the day the adoption got approved, we found out that Bix had cancer. And oh. so it was a really surreal day. And now I have two identical small models. So I'm telling everyone I cloned him like Streisand's dog. And they're all believing it. Well, as if this show could not get any more appealing. We are happy to have the wonderful kitty stories Please. of the wonderful John Fugel saying. Thanks for being here. Glad to be. Kitty, against whom will John be competing? She is a singer and songwriter whose fifth album, Temple, is out now. It's Tao Win. Hi, Tao Win. Hi, how you doing? Very, very well. I'm so happy to have you here. Temple is an album that was inspired by a trip that you took to Vietnam. Tell us who you went with, where you played, and what it was like, because it's quite a story. I went most notably with my mom and my <laughs> band, and we were invited to go to Vietnam to play some shows, and one in particular as a way to commemorate I believe is the 25th anniversary of the uh, normalization of relations between mm -hmm. the U.S. and Vietnam. We were invited by the U.S. Embassy in Vietnam to perform. And I brought my mom. I begged her to come with me. She hadn't been in 43 years. Mm. Wow. And it was your first time, right? It was my first time. Yeah, I was born in Virginia. And it was wow. deeply intense. It took me a long time to even um, process that it had happened. Because mm. we don't do so well with emotions in our family. So, <laughs> it, Yeah, good thing you're an artist who can process it through your work, through your music. It, totally. It's a good thing I can monetize it or else I wouldn't do it at all. <laughs> also, fortunately, we had a documentary team with mm. us. Brilliant. But my friend who's a filmmaker and his crew came to document all of it. And that was a film that could be seen on PBS, I believe. It was, yeah. yeah. It became um, a short film called Nobody Dies mm -hmm. and is available late night or really early in the morning <laughs> on your local PBS. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't want to experience that in the afternoon. It's just no, it's no. too much. It's too much. <laughs> Tao, in addition to uh, being in that movie and all of the music that you do, you recently started a Substack newsletter, uh, getting the word out in words and pictures and giving music clips uh, that way. Why did you want to do that? And what's that experience been like for you? It's been a, such a sweet and heartening experience. It was a way to be more directly in touch with fans and supporters while we couldn't be on the road. Mm. What's so sweet about it is that I, I do plan on continuing it even as touring has come back. Mm. I think what's so cool, I checked out a few of them, is people think of a newsletter as, oh, here's just a bunch of text and it's, you know, just blocks of paragraphs or random thoughts and whatnot. Oh, you've been you, reading you... my newsletters. Thanks. Kitty, how <laughs> dare you? I would never insult you on the show. <laughs> But, wait but, till afterwards. Yeah, exactly. But Tao, you really make it sort of a multimedia and kind of a, a vulnerable look into your life. I love that format of not needing to explain things mm. a lot. I'm a terrible storyteller because I can't remember all the details, but it's nice to be able to move around and, and not have yep. to give so much backstory. You mentioned being out on tour again. Uh, that's a new experience in this uh 
are we post-pandemic? Hard to say. Mm, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I guess not. No, uh, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned being back out on tour after uh, not being for a while. How has the experience been for you? Well, you know, we've been lucky enough to play a few shows, a few fly-in dates. My f- first full tour is happening this week. Um, it starts uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm out all of September with, um, with Julian Baker. And uh, it's been emotional yeah you know for a while we didn't know what would be possible it didn't it didn't look good for a long time and at the beginning of everything shutting down there was no way to know how extensive it would be and this is coming from someone who you know I've been touring for 15 years now so I was deeply exhausted and so cranky I'm the (laughs) crankiest person on tour and even I midway through you know the the pandemic was like I it is such a gift to be able to connect with people mm. in this yeah. way. I'm sorry that I lost sight of that, mm. you know, or I needed the break to to regain sight of that. How you're known for being a very fierce performer. Uh, people have described you when you sing as snarling and screaming, and you've even described <laughs> yourself as having crazy eyes. And yet you appear to be a rather mild-mannered person here. Uh, why is it important for you to share that part of your personality on stage? <laughs> it's important for the greater good of society that I let it out somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the safest place is on stage. Yes. If not there, who knows what would, what would come right? of it. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm, a, I'm actually, a, when my partner and I drive anywhere, I am a terrible passenger because I have deep road rage. And she's always like, you're going to get us murdered. You have got to calm down. <laughs> so we, we have this negotiation now where, and you know, I see injustice everywhere on the yeah. streets. And so now all I can do is just roll down the window. I just press the button. <laughs> And then I just stink eye, you know, dagger, <laughs> dagger, dagger. And then I just roll the window back up. So what, what, I'm trying to keep it under control. Yes. Get this person back on stage. She needs it. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you about, I saw this wonderful segment that you did on the PBS NewsHour where uh, you demonstrated a skill that you had learned while riding the bus <laughs> to school. And I'm wondering if I can set you up. Would you mind doing that for us today? Oh, it would be an honor. Great. <laughs> Everybody. Oh my goodness. Wow. So impressed. Very, very <laughs> impressed. All right. Well, we have quite a show in store for us today. Tao and John, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. John, you told us you know a lot about the Godfather films, the Beatles mm-hmm. after their breakup, and mm-hmm. Jesus. Whereas Tao, you said you know a lot about the author Tony Morrison making vegan pho and 1990s Entertainment Tonight. What a wonderful mixture. Later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, life and death. (laughs) We're done with all the small differences. We're going to life and death. First up is John with life. John, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Kitty? Well, I think I'll let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hit it. Hi, everyone. This is Alexander Petrov from Worcester, Massachusetts. My question for What's the Difference is, while they both might tell your life story, what's the difference between an autobiography and a memoir? an autobiography, and a memoir. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Alexander. John, you heard the question. So what is the difference between an autobiography and a memoir? I guess I'm going to commit to this. Watch watch how convincing I can be. All right. Taking the glasses off. To, oh, wow. Sweet. Raising the eyebrow, smoldering into the camera. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked this question. An autobiography covers a person's entire life story, whereas a memoir refers to a specific period or memory of that person's life, not their life in totality. All right. We have John's very confident answer. Thank you. Uh, we Thank don't you. know yet if he's entirely correct. How? what do you think? I don't know at all. I will say that the autobiography can be ghostwritten, but mm. the memoir cannot. 
Interesting. Ah. Very interesting. All right. Well, it's time to close the book on this segment. Let's go to Kitty Feldy at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. An autobiography is written about someone's entire life, usually Ah. chronologically, from their birth right up until the point of publication. A memoir is written about a specific time period or series of events in the author's life. That's right. And very nice pronunciation of memoir. Thank you. (laughs) That is, of course, right. An autobiographer also will usually do research to make sure they get accurate dates and places. A memoirist is more interested in their own perceptions and feelings about what they experienced. So basically, if you don't want to spend time bothering with petty things like facts, write a memoir. (laughs) (laughs) Kitty, how did they do in that? Well, I think John got it exactly correct, so I'm going to award two points to John and zero points to Tao, although I did like the explanation about the ghost-written part. It was very, very ambitious. We don't know if it's right, but very ambitious. All right, two points for John. Good job. Up next in Life and Death is Tao with Death. Tao, while you might experience both when you finish reading a sad autobiography or memoir, what is the difference between grieving and mourning? Grieving and mourning. I would say that you mourn together and you grieve alone. Mourn together and grieve alone. All right. Very interesting answer. We don't know if that's entirely correct. John, what do you think? I kind of agree. I think mourning is a sort of a public ritual mm-hmm. and grieving is a private experience. All right. Well, this segment is giving us grief. Let's go to Kitty Feldy at the judges table for the facts. Well, here are the facts. Grieving is an emotional process and internal feeling of loss. Mourning is an outward expression and demonstration of loss done often at rituals. I've done lots of both. Lots of both. (laughs) Yes. You can do one without the other or neither. (laughs) That's right, of course. Now, those rituals of mourning that Kitty mentioned can include things like wearing black, lowering a flag to half staff, or if you're in a Jewish family like mine, eating all the chicken salad the neighbors brought over before anyone shows up for the shiva. Kitty, how did our guests do? You know, this is a tough one, Jay Keith, because I think that um, Tao got it right, although she didn't use the exact language we used for the answer. And John was kind of right as well. So I, I think, can I give them each one point? Heavy is the head that wears the crown at the no judges' kidding. table. Right. And, <laughs> and as we know, all judges do wear crowns. Kitty, that is your choice. Would you like to do that? I would like to give one point to John and one point to Tao. All right, one point each. And so what is our score at the end of this round? At the end of that round, John Fugelsang has three points and Tao Win has one point. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen Hong, you know what I realized this week? I have only bought one brand of cereal probably in the last five or ten years. Can you guess what brand of cereal that is? Is it Magic Spoon? It is Magic Spoon. (laughs) Oh, you know me so well. And I think you know why, because if you've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar, it might feel like you basically can't eat anything anymore. Well, you know what you can eat? Magic Spoon. And it's the only cereal I need. Helen, tell them why Magic Spoon is so great. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, 140 calories, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And it's delicious. I love it. Oh, tell them about the flavors, Helen. You can build your own box with available flavors such as cocoa, fruity, Frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. And those last two, cookies and cream and maple waffle, they used to be temporary flavors, but they were so popular, they are now permanently available. Thank you, Magic Spoon. Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. How many questions? Exactly zero questions. Wow. Magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code gofact to save $5 off. Thank Thank you, Magic Magic Spoon. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively once and for all time for all of the people of the world, 
questions like, who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC? Or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time. And we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, John Fugelsang and Tao Nguyen. And once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Katie. All right, John, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the Godfather films, the Beatles after their breakup, and Jesus, who I understand was not as big as the Beatles. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those first. Tell us what the Godfather films means to you, why you chose it as a topic. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm raising a small child, and he's nine now, and I wanted to know great works of cinema, so I started him <laughs> off on The Godfather around three and a half, four. Yes. His first word was Luca Brasi. I felt like I had achieved something there. <laughs> and uh, um, how, how is his therapy going? You know what? He's going to be, yeah, I started him on the Godfather films and therapy at a very young age. Yeah. And uh, why do you find these films so great? Because they represent some of the best cinema America has ever produced, to say nothing of great storytelling, great adaptation of a book. I'm not including the third one here, mm -hmm. but uh, one and two are still just perfect, almost perfect works of cinema. Great. All right. Next, yeah. you said you know a lot about the Beatles after their breakup. The Beatles, to me, really invented the concept of the solo career. Mm. To me, their solo careers are as important as, as them as a band in terms of understanding the band and where they all went. All four of them made great music. Ringo had two number ones before John ever had one number one. Mm. And all four of them made terrible music without each other. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to be, to be drawn from that. <laughs> all right. And finally, John, you said you know a lot about Jesus. Jesus, uh, my mom was married to him. Uh, my, my parents were both in the clergy before they got married. My father was a Franciscan brother for uh, many years. He taught wow. history to Catholic boys in Brooklyn. My mom was a nun from the South wow. who entered the convent right after high school. They both met and got married, so he, he still had every visitation rights. Yes. Now. <laughs> Do you have to divorce Jesus after you marry him to marry somebody it's else? It's rather awkward because you, <laughs> I guess you technically divorce him, but you still go to his place every Sunday, so it's really weird all around. <laughs> uh, but I grew up admiring him the way anybody admires mom's first husband. <laughs> I've come to view Jesus like I view Elvis. I love the guy, but the fan clubs freak me out. And one thing, <laughs> as a political comic who likes to get in trouble, I found it's really interesting to thump Bible thumpers with the Bible. Mm. I debated Jerry Falwell on Bill Maher's show at a very young age and David Duke. And I find that most of our angriest, loudest, fundamentalist Christians don't really know much about what's actually in the Bible. Mm. And nobody hates like a Christian who's just been told their hate is not Christian. So I have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, to summarize, John, you said you know a lot about the Godfather films, the Beatles after their breakup, and Jesus. Today, we're going to quiz you about the Beatles after their breakup. Ah, brilliant. You had interviewed two of the Beatles in the same week. I also understand it was on different continents. Yes. Uh, I was with George and Robbie Shaikar in New York City on a Wednesday night and then hopped a red eye and did a live special wow. with Paul in Bishopsgate in London on a Saturday. And I did hand Ringo a glass of water once as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, just ahead, John, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. Now, Tao, do listen closely because you can steal if John gets any of them wrong. Tao, by the way, how much do you know about the Beatles after their breakup? Fair to middling, I believe the phrase is. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully you'll do more middling than fair. I think, middling, yeah. <laughs> I think middling is better. We'll find out. All right, here's question number one. John, after the Beatles broke up, John Lennon had a successful solo career, of course, with his best-selling single hitting number three in the U.S. in 1971. But that recording continued to return to the charts around the world, including in 2012 when it was in the top 20 in the U.K. Tell us the name of this song. It's easy if you try. So uh, I, I don't think it's called Turkey. I'm guessing Imagine. Kitty? That is correct. That is correct. Very, very good. Fun fact, Imagine reached number one in the UK shortly after Lennon's death, and it was played in the opening ceremonies of the London Olympics in 2012, exposing it to a whole new audience, which is why it was on the charts back then. Uh, it unfortunately also became an internet meme when celebrities sang to it to cure covid in 2020. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, CeeLo tried changing the lyrics once too on a show. Oh, yeah. yikes. All right, here's question number two. Paul McCartney's most recent hits were actually in 2015 when three of his songs made the top 40. Each of those hits was a collaboration with what hip-hop giant, fashion mogul, and supposed presidential candidate? That would be Kanye West. 
Kitty? That is correct. That is correct for another point. <laughs> you did not need the hint in that one, but Kitty, what would that hint have been? Oh, come on. This one's easy. Nice, Kitty. Uh, nice, Kitty. Yeah. Fun fact, one of those collaborations with Paul McCartney and Kanye West called Four Five Seconds reached the top five and also featured Rihanna. It's a good song. Excellent. All right, here's question number three. Now, we mentioned John Lennon's song Imagine, and on the album of the same name, his old Beatles pal George Harrison helped out by playing several instruments across several tracks. According to the liner notes, on that album, Harrison played guitar, lead guitar, slide guitar, and what other instruments? I want to say acoustic guitar, but I'm afraid it's a Moog synthesizer, but I'll say acoustic guitar. Kitty? That is incorrect. No, I'm oh. terribly sorry. Tao with a chance to steal. Maybe he played the sitar? Was it the sitar, Kitty? No, I'm sorry. That's incorrect <sighs> as well. No, I think we stumped you both on that one. It is in the guitar family. It is a dobro. A dobro ah. is what he played on that song. Fun fact, dobro is a brand of resonator guitar. It's named for the company that made it, which was founded by the Dopiera brothers. Do, Dopiera, bro, brothers, do, bro. Fun. <laughs> Here's question number four. Let's see if you can bounce back with this, John. You still have two hints available. All right, John, here's question number four. In 1960, Johnny Burnett had a hit with the song You're 16. Then in 1973, it rocketed to number one when Ringo Starr recorded it. But neither of these men wrote the song. What pair of Oscar-winning songwriters known for their classic Disney songs did write You're 16? I'll take that hint now, Jay Keith. Kitty, how about that first hint? They are brothers who share a last name with a World War II tank, a Civil War general, and a time-traveling cartoon boy. I'll have to say the Sherman brothers. Kitty? That is correct. That is correct. Excellent use of the hint there, John. Excellent hint. Thank you so much. Fun fact, the Sherman brothers, Robert and Richard Sherman, wrote songs for Disney's Mary Poppins, Jungle Book, right. and It's a Small World. All right, here's question number five. In 1976, while some concert promoters were offering the Beatles tens of millions of dollars to reunite, Saturday Night Live producer Lorne Michaels famously offered the Beatles a much more modest figure to play on the show. He later offered a separate, even smaller amount to George Harrison for saying, live from New York, it's Saturday night. How much was this offer to Harrison? We'll give you the answer if you're within $200. Oh, okay. I'll say $200. Kitty says $200. That is correct. That is correct. It is within $200 of the correct answer, which is $250. $250 is what he was offered for saying that. <laughs> Fun fact, Lorne Michaels' original offer to the Beatles to reunite was $3,000, though he later sweetened the pot to $3,200 <laughs> on the condition that they sang three Beatles tunes. He also made the check out to the Beatles, saying they could divide it any way they wanted, including giving Ringo less. And they, they did it when Paul was on the show in 93, they did a, re a callback to it at the, uh, in the cold ah. open as well. That's right. I've, I've seen I've seen conflicting reports and interviews saying that he and John, I think, were together at the time and, and debated. They were watching. Yeah, they were watching and actually considered going down to 30 Rock and being on the show <laughs> to collect right. their check. All right, John, you obviously did quite well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Oh my. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. John, Paul McCartney invited a new guitarist to join his post-Beatles group for the 1979 album Back to the Egg. For up to three points, what was the name of this Paul McCartney group? On what Ringo Starr album did that same guitarist play? And what is the name of this musician known as a master of fingerstyle guitar playing? The guitarist is Denny Lane. Mm -hmm. What was the first question again? I'm so sorry. What was the name of Paul McCartney's group that invited... Oh, that would be Wings. Okay. And the second question pertaining to Ringo Starr, I'm sorry. On what album of Ringo Starr's did that same guitarist play? Uh, I'm trying to think of what it could be. Uh, I have to name something, I guess. I will mm -hmm. say, um, oh, Lord, I'll, I'll say uh, to Vertical Man. I don't know. I'll go to the 90s and say Vertical Man. Vertical Man. Okay, so let's get all your answers all in one. The name of the group? Wings. And the name of that Ringo Starr album? I'm going to say Vertical Man. I don't think that's right. And the name of the musician, the master of finger-style guitar playing? Denny Lane, not Penny Lane. All right. Kitty is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Kitty, who do we have tonight? Well, joining us tonight is a multiple Grammy-winning composer and musician who has played with multiple Beatles after their breakup. It's Lawrence Juber. Oh, my God. Oh, no. It's Lawrence <laughs> 
Oh, Lawrence. Oh, Lawrence. Oh, it's so good to see you. I'm so embarrassed. Hello, Lawrence Juber. Oh. And so you should be. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Juber is one of the... Oh, my God. I want to change all my answers now. Oh, no. Well, Lawrence Juber... what sloppy, sloppy work on my part. Oh. Lawrence, what's it like when uh, someone is introduced to you and they say, Oh, no, Lawrence Juber. Oh, no. This is, of course, finger picking. Why didn't I think about this right away? Ah. Oh. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, we are not sorry to have Lawrence Juber here. John has had you on his show. You yes, two are acquainted. That's correct, yeah. Tell us about how you two know each other, Lawrence. I follow John on Twitter. And I follow you. My publicist got me on his show a few years ago, I guess, when one of my, I think it was when one of my Beatle cover albums With, was Featuring your trademark picking style, yes. Yes. <laughs> John is covering his face and smiling. I think he knows that he should have got, oh, should have gotten that. Yeah. But I, I don't oh. know if you saw this, Lawrence. He also was uh, bowing down in, uh, oh, in praise. Yes. Of course. Back to the egg. I'm so sorry. I was in I was in third grade. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's all right. We're all happy to have each other here. <laughs> Mr. Juber is the reason why Wonderful Christmas Time is a great song, by the way, why it's a, such a listenable song. I give him full credit for that. You know, that's a funny one, Wonderful Christmas Time, because we did it on stage kind of before the record was released and nobody told me that they were going to have fake snow <laughs> and I opened my mouth to sing the choir of angels bit and got a mouthful of like this plastic snow <laughs> right at the moment where Santa Claus was coming down on a rope too the, the, uh, the front row were in his the glamours of showbiz will never cease oh my god <laughs> well for our listeners in addition to all those Beatles that you've played with you've played on records or in concert with everyone from Marvin Hamlish to Lou Rawls to Harry Styles uh, recently some listeners might not realize that they've heard you but they certainly have if they've heard a bunch of different movies soundtracks, video games. I was surprised to learn this. You did that famous uh, transitional riff on TV's Home Improvement show. Uh, yeah, I did all the guitar on Home Improvement for eight years. <laughs> After Wings, I became a studio musician right. here in LA and worked on Roseanne and Home Improvement and a boatload of movies. Yeah. Goodwill Hunting, Pocahontas, stuff oh, wow. like that. Amazing. Awesome. We talked about you as a master of fingerstyle guitar playing. For those who don't know, what, what is that exactly? It's playing with the right hand fingers in a technique similar to classical guitar. Ah. My repertoire is is Beatles and Great American Songbook and, you know, contemporary stuff as well as a lot of original compositions too. Yeah. How you also play guitar, of course. What style do you use when you play guitar? I think uh, it's more like neoclassic postmodern finger picking. Finger style. Uh huh. And are you making that up as you tell us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, totally. okay, I just wanted to I'm totally making that up. I, um, what? I grew up picking up by ear more um, sort of country blues picking and Appalachian old time music. So it's yeah. a, an amalgam. Got it. Of the styles. Uh, now, Lawrence, we mentioned you working with different members of the Beatles. How do you meet a Beatle? Well, the first <laughs> time I met Paul McCartney was in the men's room of a recording <laughs> studio in London. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a very inauspicious place to meet a Beatle. Yeah. I was on a break on a session and can I went off with the bass player, Herbie Flowers, who's one of the great studio players in England. And he was a friend of Paul's. And, and as we walked in, there's Paul McCartney zipping up his fly. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just Paul and Ringo that you ended up playing with. Tell us about how you worked with George Harrison. I worked with George, too, uh, on the soundtrack to Shanghai Surprise. Mm. That's right. And that was pretty cool i mean i i have a little bit of a thing happened that i've worked on like notorious movies like i played on the soundtrack of ishtar too. oh dear <laughs> <laughs> it's not your fault lawrence I... but, but you know but th there is a cult around that yeah. movie i mean people oh, sure. gather yes. together and they sing paul williams songs you know i've done a lot of work with paul williams over the yeah. years which is how that came about but uh working with george was was pretty cool i even got to sing backing vocals with him and sharing a microphone with george harrison is pretty mm. pretty unique. yeah wow and yeah. Uh, are you one of those people where you were a super fan of the beatles before you got to work with them individually? oh yeah well, yeah. I started playing in November of 1963, which oh, was well, really, you know, it was like the week after the Royal Command performance. Yeah. The one where John made the wisecrack about, you know, rattling your jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've released several albums with solo acoustic guitar versions of Beatles songs. Uh, you literally have one that is called LJ, your nickname, LJ Can't Stop Playing the Beatles. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Fingerboard Road. Check out Fingerboard Road, everybody. Oh, it's thank a masterpiece. You, John. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, a masterpiece. Why are Beatles songs so satisfying for you to play? You know, the integrity of the songwriting and the mm. melodies and the harmonies and there's always something about those songs that 
sets them a little bit apart. They're not real, like totally mainstream. And, and I love getting under the hood and kind of realizing where the influences are coming from. You know, mm. take a song like She Loves You and looking at how you managed to get this kind of combination of folk music, great American songbook and Chuck Berry all in one song, you know. Also, just from an audience point of view, I mean, people love those songs. Uh, but, yeah. but the real, the, the core thing is that my wife, Hope, is a huge Beatle fan. And she was the one who suggested doing these albums in the first place. And I said, sure, if, if you produce, I'll do them. So she took the reins. Smart uh, man. We talked with Tao earlier about how she adapted to performing during the pandemic. Tell us about what you've been doing with these Tea Time concerts. Yeah, I, I started doing Facebook Live at one point five days a week. Mm. And then I scaled it back to three days a week because five days was just too much. And just doing deep dives into my own repertoire, instant arrangements of tunes, and taking requests and stuff like that. Mm. And, and then I started transitioning over to Bandcamp because you can actually like charge on Bandcamp, which Facebook, mm. I think, will let you do. But when you get behind the scenes on Facebook, it gets increasingly complicated. So that's, <laughs> yes. you know, I, I back Tao is nodding that. along and smiling knowingly. Yeah. Yes. But, but Bandcamp is cool. And um, what I've done is I've, I've collated a series of EPs from what I'm calling a virtually live album. So uh, a series of EPs of, of archives that I've done from these Facebook shows starting in October. I'll do um, a concert. Like, in fact, my first concert in October is going to be on October 8th on Bandcamp for John Lennon's birthday. So that will be an old Beatles show. Oh, nice. Lawrence, uh, please come back on the SiriusXM show as part of my penance and let's, let's uh, tell everyone. <laughs> oh, about yeah, it, I'd love to. Just, Excellent. I, well, speaking of what you have to pay penance for, let's get to the reason that we brought Lawrence here today oh, dear. as far as our game is concerned. John, please stick I, with I'd us. Inter- I'd, I'd rather interview him than, than go through my shame. It's so complete. No, no, no. We, we, we are a shame-free zone. You heard the questions that we asked of John. First, we oh. wanted to know when Paul McCartney invited the new guitarist to join his group for the 1979 album Back to the Egg. Kitty, what did John say? John said wings. And Lawrence Juber? That's correct. That is correct. Wings for the point. Very good, John. Don, you actually feel bad about getting that point? No, I, I feel bad about what's going to happen. What's coming next? Okay, all right. <laughs> We're going to get through it together. We've got a lot of emotional support here. Let's go okay, to our next question. We wanted to know on what Ringo Starr album did that same guitarist play? Kitty, what did John say? John said vertical man. And Lawrence Juber? Stop and smell the roses. Stop and smell the roses, of course. Of course. All right, no point there. And finally, wanted to know, what is the name of this musician, the master of finger-style guitar playing? Kitty, we have to say it. What did John say? John said Denny Lane. I wasn't thinking. I was backwards in time. Yeah. And Mr. Juber? That's me, Lawrence Juber. It was you. It was Lawrence (laughs) Juber. But I might add, Denny Lane is a very fine finger-style guitar player. Yes. So, yes. you know, John was kind of half right. Uh, no, no, he didn't. He didn't make. <laughs> listen, everyone listened to Rockestra theme. Everyone listened to, to to Lawrence's guitar on Arrow Through Me, one of the most underrated wing songs. I, I'm I'm such a fan. Well, John, before we let uh, Mr. Juber go, is there anything you'd like to say or ask to him while we have him here? Yeah, I'd love to ask a question. I have many, but uh, Lawrence Paul was famously busted in Japan in 1980 for cannabis, which seems very quaint to people now, which is lovely. But I've always wanted to know, do you think that had that not happened, would Wings have toured in the 1980s? That was the plan, that we would have been doing some dates in America in the summer, which would have coincided with having a number one single, because coming up was number one in July of that year. So, you know, Japan and then I imagine some European dates, but it was all being discussed. Right. But I was standing next to him when he got busted. You really? were. And, and, and the legend was that it was always Linda's weed and Paul took the fall for her. Is there any uh, truth to that? You know, it was it was the family weed. It was <laughs> <laughs> She had the purse. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what they say, the family that lights up together, I don't know what. Uh, Lawrence, we're so happy that you joined us. If people want to find more about you and your work, where can they do that? Uh, my website is lawrencetuba.com. Uh, I do have a public-facing Facebook page. I'm also on Bandcamp. You can find me there. And I recommend that because that's where I'm kind of doing my online business at this point. 
Well, I'm Brilliant. so grateful that you did some of your online business with us today, everyone. It's Lawrence <laughs> Juver. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you for your work. Thank you. Uh, all right, Kitty, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, John Fugelsang has eight points and Tao Win has one point with a round of questions for Tao coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Tao about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Tao and John will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, the job market, it's a mess right now. But whether you're looking for a new opportunity or want to make yourself a stronger candidate for promotion, how you present yourself is key to taking the next step. Oh, I wish there were a secret sauce, Helen. There is a secret sauce. It is executive presence. Oh. Rotman Business School's unique virtual executive presence program will equip you with tools and tips to engage and influence others. They've designed this comprehensive virtual program to work around your current schedule. You know, with Rotman's executive presence, you can balance working from home and watching the kids with building your emotional intelligence and making connections with peers across different industries. The University of Toronto Rotman School of Management is one of the best schools in Canada and the world ranked number 17 for open enrollment executive education by the Financial Times. I repeat, ooh. <laughs> Visit uofte.me slash executive presence. That's uofte.me slash executive presence to learn more and apply. Classes start September 15th. Start your application today to save your seat. That's uofte.me slash executive presence. Rotman. Here's where it changes. Thank you, Rotman Business School. It is a school. (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's I, John Hodgman of the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. And I, Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse Podcast. And we've made a whole new podcast, a 12-episode special miniseries called iPodius, in which we recap, discuss, and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart, and his son, non-Sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Daniel, you'll get there someday. I, Claudius is the name of the show. Every week for MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests John Fugelsang and Tao Win. And once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Kitty. All right, Tao, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the author Toni Morrison making vegan pho and 1990s Entertainment Tonight. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. Tell us why you chose the author Toni Morrison as one of your topics. Miss Morrison is the first writer who... Um... I encountered that provided such remarkable escape Mm. and her writing played and continues to play a great influence in my lyric writing in the cadence I use mostly how hard I strive. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty high, high bar to strive for. Yeah. (laughs) What are your favorite Toni Morrison books? I loved Song of Solomon first and from there, you know, Bluest Eye, Child Baby. Once you read one, the ongoing and eternal love for her work. Great. There's a lot to choose from. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, how you said you know a lot about making vegan pho. You know, there might be some hubris. Uh, <laughs> I'm Vietnamese and I grew up, of course, eating pho and loving it and, and cooking it and learning from my mom and my aunts. I specified vegan pho because people who order the vegan broth don't know what they're missing. Oh, interesting. So in my Humble opinion, there are a lot of corners that are cut flavor-wise when an establishment says something's vegan. Interesting. And so what do you Mm. do to reestablish those corners? The thing that has to be replaced in the more traditional pho is Mm -hmm. the fish sauce and chicken or beef broth. Making sure you char the ginger, toasting the cinnamon, and charring the onion. To substitute for the fish sauce, I use seaweed I want the recipe. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> Speaking of hungry, you also said you know a lot about 1990s entertainment tonight. <laughs> Good transition, Jake. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm king of the segues, some say. Entertainment tonight has such a warm place in my heart because I I watched so much television growing up and that was my first form of escape. Before I read more seriously, I watched a ton of TV. 
it just was part of the ritual. It was part of my home structure was to tuck in with Mary Hart and John Tesh. <laughs> and I <laughs> and I loved the um, empty calories of entertainment. <laughs> So, so uh, you don't like a vegan entertainment tonight? You want the no, full, I want, you want the full hard, experience. Yeah, I want it full and juicy and <laughs> pretty See? much useless. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I knew that transition would pay off someday. All right. So to summarize, Tal, you said you know a lot about the author Toni Morrison, Making Vegan Pho, and 1990s Entertainment Tonight. Today, we're going to quiz you about 1990s Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Tao pumping her fist with uh, <laughs> happiness. And what is it about the 1990s era that you find particularly appealing? That was me at my most sponge-like. Okay. That's like the last time I absorbed anything that I carried on into my adulthood. My memory is dubious often, but yeah. for some reason, all of these are crystallized. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see how crystal yeah, they we'll are. we'll see. Yeah. Because just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. Before that, to let you show your love, Tao, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, John, do listen closely because if Tao answers incorrectly, you can steal. John, by the way, how much do you know about 1990s entertainment tonight? I have met Lisa Gibbons and John Tesh. Whoa. Whoa. So uh, I will be leaning in carefully uh, and I will be answering Lawrence Tuber for every question. <laughs> <laughs> A wise strategy going forward in life. All right. Here is your first question about 1990s entertainment tonight, Tao. Mary Hart hosted Entertainment Tonight from 1982 to 2011. While most folks were glad to hear her voice, there was a notable exception in the 1990s. A woman who, as documented in the New England Journal of Medicine, appeared <laughs> to have seizures triggered by Mary Hart's voice. Now, this story might sound familiar because what NBC sitcom of the 1990s had a 1992 episode where Kramer also had seizures triggered by Mary Hart's voice? That would be Seinfeld. Kitty? That is correct. That is correct. We laid a lot of track to get there, but you yes. got on the train and made it to the terminal. <laughs> Paying attention pays off. Yes. Yeah. You did not need the hint, but I know, Kitty, you were eager to give this very subtle hint. What would that hint have been, Kitty? The star of the show was Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle, indeed. Uh, fun fact, Mary Hart joined E.T. on its 204th show and stayed for thousands more. And, by the way, we did an entire segment about Seinfeld with our guest Dwayne Perkins on episode 39 of Go Fact Yourself. Uh, Tao, it's hard to say the words entertainment tonight without thinking of its very hummable theme song. What longtime host of the show, who went on to a successful musical career, reorchestrated the theme for the show in 1990 and 1994? John Tesh. Kitty? That is correct. That is correct. Very good. Uh, Tesh hosted the show with Mary Hart from 1986 to 1996. That theme song was originally composed by Michael Mark. And in addition to John Tesh's versions, it was also reorchestrated in 2012 by Will I Am. What? Wow. Yes. Oh. That, you got <laughs> to check. Pull that gotta, up. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Give me a uh, have minute. You, have you had a chance to uh, play the Entertainment Tonight theme song in your concert style? I have not. Maybe I'll bring it back with that humming beatbox uh, <laughs> yes. for, the, for the encore, you know, the, give the people what they want. Exactly. I love that the show is writing your set list. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tao, you're two for two. Here's question number three. People watched entertainment tonight in the 1990s to see their favorite celebrities like Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, Whoopi Goldberg, and Steven Spielberg. But viewers didn't see them for a stretch of 1996 when these stars and more boycotted E.T. and other shows in protest of invasive paparazzi. What enormous star of the 1990s and today led this boycott? George Clooney. Kitty? That is correct. With no hesitation, she says, George Clooney, and that is correct. Fun fact, Clooney boycotted several of what he called tabloid TV shows at the time. It was right before he starred in Batman and Robin. All right, mm. now, here's question number I boycotted four. that. You <laughs> I think a lot of people did. <laughs> After they saw it, they boycotted it. All right, here's question number four. Tao, you still have your two hints available. Since the show's debut, then through the 1990s and beyond, viewers got a dose of intellect from E.T.'s resident film critic, Leonard Malton. Malton ended his movie reviews by giving his rating, not with a thumbs up or down, not with stars, but with what? Mm -hmm. I might need a hint. All right, Kitty, how about that first hint? In 1985, Leonard gave Cocoon a nine, 
Back to the Future, an eight. And Weird Science, a zero. Out of a 10 out of 10 scale. Kitty? That is correct. That is exactly right. Yes, a number from zero to 10. Very, very nice. All right, Tal, you have a chance to go five for five. Here is your fifth question. Stars are just like us. They have birthdays too. What company began sponsoring the Celebrity Birthdays segment on Entertainment Tonight in 1993? Hmm. How deep in thought? This is a good one. Thank um, you. I'm not going to lie. I wrote this one. I liked it. <laughs> Kitty, can I get another hint, please? Kitty, how about that second hint? It's an American greeting card company, and it isn't Hallmark. What? <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, is there another American greeting card company? There really is. They cornered the market. There literally what? is. Literally. The American Greeting Card Company. Kitty? That is correct. That is correct. American Greetings is what it's called. Okay. American ah. Greetings. Very nice use of that hint. Fun fact, as we record this, today's celebrity birthdays are Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> Hulk Hogan, and Viola Davis. I've always wanted to say it, and in that voice. How win is five for five, everybody. Woo! Very, right. very nice, Tao. Thank you so much. All right. Now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Tao, people think of Entertainment Tonight as a show to watch on weeknights, maybe on the floor too close to the TV. But there also was a weekly version broadcast on weekends, which was not called Entertainment Tonight until producers changed the name in 1990. For up to three points, how long was each episode of the weekend version of Entertainment Tonight? What was the weekend show's original title before becoming Entertainment Tonight or E.T. Weekend? And what man hosted the weekend show, later replacing John Tesh as permanent anchor of the weeknight show in 1996? I'll go with 18 minutes. 18 minutes. All right. I, well, I'm assuming that they wouldn't allow it to be half an hour. You know what? I remember watching on the weekend sometimes. Mm-hmm. Was it an hour? So, excuse me. So you're changing your answer from 18 minutes to an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's really okay. hard with childhood stuff because you block no. out so much of it. that, it, yeah. And then to go back and try to. No, um, I understand. Yeah. Okay. And so 18 yeah. minutes feels like an hour sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're going to say an hour was the length of the show? An hour was the length of the show. Okay. Before it was called ET Weekend, was it Entertainment Insider? Entertainment Insider. Okay. And then who was the man who hosted the weekend show and later replaced John Tesh as permanent anchor? I'm going to go with Mark Steinus. Mark Steinus. Okay. Kitty is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Kitty, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a television personality whose storied career includes hosting several game shows and pageants, including Wheel of Fortune and Miss USA, and who was the anchor of Entertainment Tonight for much of the 1990s. It's Bob Goen. Bob Bob Goen! Hello, Bob Goen. So nice of you to join us. Well, thank you. And and Tal, thank you for for getting an 11-year gap between Tesh and Stein. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm so sorry, but uh, okay. it's okay. Yes, yeah, so at least right. you didn't at least you didn't say that you weren't Lawrence Juber. That's right. <laughs> John, by the way, you were you were champing at the bit to get in there. John, you knew the answers to that uh, cluster fact? Listen, I've been a fan of Bob since he was doing Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, well, get yeah. out of here. No kidding. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I, of course, am a huge game show fan. That's how I first got to know you. You did game shows like Wheel of Fortune in the daytime, shows like Perfect Match, Home Shopping Game. And uh, you're on Cameo, like a lot of people are, where they can yeah. uh, people, people can request personalized videos of you. And I thought it was really neat in your bio. It said that despite Entertainment Tonight and the pageants and all the things you've done, you still consider yourself a game show guy. When I was like, I don't know, 13 years old, I made an announcement to my parents at the dinner table that I was going to grow up to be a game show host. Oh, wow. I have wanted to be a game show host since I was a kid. Every decision that I made, every step I took, either with education or with, you know, any kind of a career path, it was always with the game show finish line down the road. That's so cool. E.T. was just a complete detour. Yeah. (laughs) But it worked. And that's what will be on my tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk about entertainment tonight in a sec. I did want to ask you, though, you mentioned all these game shows that you did and that you were wanted to be a game show host for so long. I understand you were actually encouraged and mentored by a famous game show host as well. 
I had a lot of really classy people who helped me out. Dick Clark mm-hmm. was one of them. Uh, wow. the, the first, yeah, me too. You too, John? Yeah. Yeah, he, he was he, very good uh, to me. He sent me a card when I took over the Miss Universe pageants from him saying, you're a great host. You're going to do fabulous. And that was about as classy a thing as I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. In addition to those TV shows, you've been doing some live stage show hosting uh, of the Price is Right Live. I've been to a few of those (laughs) shows, and I got to tell you, you the excitement that you find in that crowd, you would think, oh, this isn't on TV. This is just sometimes, you know, in a in a casino showroom or or a local theater. It is crazy. Hmm. What's it like for you on stage to experience that? It's absolute insanity. And I I know what the aphrodisiac for Bob Barker was, you know, when (laughs) when you're up there. It's just it's incredible. And I did it for couple of years in Las Vegas, I opened their show in Branson. We were getting ready to go out last year again, and then everything shut down. So we're kind of gearing up to return to the road now. Well, let's talk about entertainment tonight. How did you get that gig? You mentioned it was a sudden departure fee from what you had been doing. There's no real uh, glamorous story to it other than, you know, my agent pushed very hard to get me in there. I did go up. You, John, you had mentioned Lisa Gibbons earlier, and yes. I was put on the set with Lisa I was given a travel coffee mug (laughs) and told to talk about it for a minute. That was the audition. That was the audition. Wow. Wow. And then they brought in Lisa to sit next to me and see how the chemistry was back and forth. Obviously, it took. And yeah, 11 years later. Wow. Unbelievable. You work with a lot of co-hosts over your time on both the weekend and the weeknight show. Who do you feel you had the the best chemistry with? I think Lisa. I mean, you know, everybody was great. I I love Mary. She's a friend to this day. But Lisa was that incredible talent. You always knew that somebody had your back. If you just Mm. went blank, she took over. Mm. You never felt like you were going to let down the momentum. If you came up empty, she was always there. You talked about the wonderful Mary Hart. You actually had a bit of a reunion for uh, Mary Hart's last episode. Tell us what that was like for you. Yeah, I was. That's funny because I was hosting uh, Prices Right live in Las Vegas, so they wanted to get Mary's past co-hosts in the room with her. So they pulled out a private jet and flew me from Vegas and and brought me in because I had to be back on the stage, you know, at four o'clock and they were <laughs> shooting this thing at one or whatever it was. So it was a little hectic. It was just a fabulous day and a tribute to an absolute icon. Mm-hmm. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, I know that you've done a lot of events and work to support the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Just thought you could take a minute and talk about what that means to you and maybe any memorable wishes that you got to uh, witness or be a part of. Oh, God, you want to get me crying, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, that is what a good interviewer does as yes, well, right? Of course, <laughs> that's always the goal. I did a uh, golf tournament in Denver for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Colorado for about uh, nine years. And we raised over a million dollars. Wow. It was my annual uh, booster shot, you know, Mm -hmm. of stop your whining, Bob, you know. (laughs) And the kids were remarkable. I remember one little boy, Robbie, who who, um, lived in the worst part of town and drug deals going on outside his window. And he lived there just he and his mom. And um, he... See, here I go. I'm going to start crying. He was a space freak and he wanted to go Mm -hmm. to space camp. Make-A-Wish was going to get him uh, to space camp. And they went to his little tiny house in the bad part of town to have mom and and Robbie sign the papers. And they said, okay, Robbie, so this is what you want to do, right? You want to go to space camp? And he goes, no, I changed my mind. Oh, gosh. And they said, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to move my mom to a better neighborhood. Oh, wow. And so Make-A-Wish bought him a house. Oh, God bless him. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your going there with us. Let's get back to the silliness and uh, the reason that we brought you here. (laughs) Can I stop crying now? Yeah, Yeah, we'll we'll allow it. Yeah, we we welcome all emotion on this show. You got it. Okay. All right. Well, let's shift gears and get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions we asked Tao. We wanted to know first, how long was each episode of the weekend version of Entertainment Tonight? Kitty, what did Tao say? Tao said one hour. And Bob? Well, let's say, first off, she said 18 minutes. She, she did say that I was factoring yeah. in, I was factoring be... commercials. Oh, yeah. Would there be oh, okay. 12 minutes of commercials? Yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay, you're, yeah. you're walking your way out of this one. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one hour. 
Yep. One hour, that's a point yeah. for Tao. Very good. There you go, see? All right, next we wanted to know, what was the title of Entertainment Tonight on the weekend before it became Entertainment Tonight or ET Weekend? Kitty, what did Tao say? Tao said Entertainment Insider. And Bob? I know why you're confused, because there was a second show called The Insider that, mm-hmm. that followed Entertainment Tonight. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. originally, the weekend show was called Entertainment This Week. This Week. Very this good, week. John. Yes, ah, John. yes, because the recap yep. aspect. Exactly. Yes, yes. 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 Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. No point there. And finally, we wanted to know who was the man who hosted that weekend show, later replacing John Tesh as permanent anchor of the weeknight show in 1996. Tao, John had to go through this, so you have to go through it as I well. know, John. I <laughs> Oh, it's so painful. Kitty, what did Tao say? Tao said Mark Steinus. Was she right? No, of course not. <laughs> she was close. Bob, oh, Bob, I have to tell you that, you know, that that lapse in my memory is atrocious, and I apologize for that. But just hearing your voice, I want you to know that I watched you every night and it, for, you know, years on end, and it's so it's so comforting it, oh, it, to hear you, you again. Bless so. you. Well, that, okay, you just made up for it. Everything's fine now. <laughs> we're, we're friends again. Yay! Yeah, yeah. Well, Bob, it was so wonderful for you to join us. If people want to find out more about you or book you on cameo where can they do that uh, on cameo yeah they can certainly go there i mean that's self-explanatory but uh yeah I, <laughs> I mean i'm not doing a whole lot right now and that's why i'm here instead of tesh so uh, <laughs> yeah so uh, you know i've been doing i've been doing like radio for the last 10 years and <laughs> live stage shows and you know i really haven't done that much television so unless you count my colonoscopy but I, I yeah, you'll be here I'm, all week. Yeah, I'm all, I'm here all week. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for slumming with us, and uh, <laughs> for, for our listeners, please do be sure to check out Bob Goen in whatever form uh, he comes to your town next. Thank you so much for joining us, Bob Goen. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks, Tao. All right, what is our score, Kitty? As we go into the final round. Going into the final round, John Fugelsang has eight points, and Tao Win has seven points. Oh, very nice catching up there, Tao. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with John and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. John, the American Kennel Club keeps a list of official dog breeds. True. Correct. Tao, there's an official American Kennel Club breed called German Shepherd. True. Correct. John, there's an official American Kennel Club breed called Canadian Shepherd. False. Correct. No, but it would be the most polite shepherd there is. Tao, there's a Belgian Shepherd. False. Correct. John, there's a Dutch Shepherd. True. Correct. Tao, there's a Bohemian Shepherd. False. Incorrect. No, there really is. John, there's a Caucasian Shepherd. False. Incorrect. No, there really is. It looks a lot like the Canadian one, I'm guessing. I heard uh, it's very bohemian. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Tao, there's an Australian Shepherd. True. Correct. John, there's an Australian Cattle Dog. True. Correct. Tao, there's an Australian Stumpy Tail Cattle Dog. True. Correct. Yes. John, there's an Australian Pointy Tail Cattle Dog. False. Correct. Tao, there's an Australian lobster tail cattle dog. False. Correct. John, there's an Australian fairy tail cattle dog. <laughs> False. Correct. Tao, there's an Australian handmaid's tail cattle dog. <laughs> Unfortunately, false. Correct. And finally, John, there's an Australian tales of a fourth grade nothing cattle dog. False. Correct. All right, we're not going to count those last few, but I do want to thank Tao and John as Kitty tabulates the final score. Kitty, are you ready to reveal the final score of today's game? I am. At the end of the game, in second place is Tao Win with 11 points. And in first place, John Fugelsang has 12 points. A very close game, but congratulations, John Fugelsang. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. John, what will you do with your championship? I'm going to give my title to Dow because she played a better game than me. Oh, that's very generous. <laughs> and we always appreciate a bonus pun. Uh, all right. We just want to give everyone here on the show a chance to promote anything they might like people to find them doing. Uh, John Fugelsang, where can people find you and your work? 
Uh, you can hear me every night on Sirius XM. Uh, I have a podcast called The Sanity Cast. I'll be performing uh, at the Barrymore Theater in Madison, Wisconsin on October 23rd. And that's going to be a live stream uh, pay-per-view as well on Meathook. Excellent. Well, we thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful to have John Fugelsang. Thank you. Tao Win, where can people find you and your exciting work? I'll be headed out for tour uh, all of September and beyond. And just on August 22nd, I was part of a New York Times Tea Magazine cover story so you can wow. check, check it out there very good very it was, cool yeah <laughs> your music is so fun to listen to really cool i recommend people come and check you out on tour when they can we thank so much for joining us tao win thank you so much for having me ladies and gentlemen my hosting partner for today's show thank you so much for sitting in is kitty feldy kitty where can people find you Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kitty Feldy. You can uh, listen to the podcast Book Club for Kids or the Fina Mendoza Mysteries. Or you can find me on the bookshelves with the Fina Mendoza Mysteries series. Excellent. Congratulations on that new book. And make sure to look out for Kitty Feldy. Thanks again for joining us today. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith or on Instagram at jkeith.net. Uh, that just leaves me to thank Town Win, John Fugelsang, Lawrence Juber, Bob Gowen. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Go Fact Your Pod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at gofactyourwiki.fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at maxfunstore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live someday. I think someday soon. We'll see. Go to gofactyourpod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Jack did. He, she, or they said, it's just so dang pleasant to listen to people get excited about things that they care about or freak out when they meet a renowned expert in some niche topic. Everyone's an expert in something, but you may need to think about what that could be. Thanks, Jack. I think you're an expert in writing dang pleasant reviews. Kitty? (laughs) Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It's produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Special thanks to Bob Bowden, Sean Patrick Rohrer, Shelley Herman, Robin Randall, Hope Juber, Pete Cunningham, Will Moronic, Amanda Freitag, Justin Leonard, Jimmy Marks, Sarah Rodenbaugh, Brandon J. Carr, Clint Tauscher, Mike Avellanos, Adam Needoff, Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Velada. I've been Kitty Feldy. Let's go watch 1990s entertainment tonight. Yay, I can hardly wait. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.